Welcome to Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. My name is John Bartlett, and I'm your host. Liz Whitaker has always been very much interested in animals, and especially dogs who are homeless. At 13 years old, she decided to find the oldest and most unadoptable dog out there. He then inspired her. Liz found her purpose in life, turning to shelter work and starting her own projects and companies around helping dogs and other animals. Today, she is the CEO and founder of Paulytics, with the goal of creating the animal welfare's most innovative and modern software, all for the sake of saving as many animals as possible using electronic health records. Liz, welcome to Dog Save the People. So happy to have you today. Whereabouts are we speaking to you from? Thank you for having me. I am actually based in Lincoln, Nebraska, so middle of the country. All right. And is that where you're from originally? No, I am I am a Midwest girl, but I, I was actually born in Kansas, lived in Minnesota, and then came to Nebraska for college and never left. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I'm actually, well, I'm from Ohio, which I also consider the Midwest, but the Midwest is quite a a big area of the country. Mm -hmm. Liz, tell me a little bit about how you became interested in animals. And it sounds like you were obsessed with animals growing up. Yes. Yeah. So the the funny thing is I'm actually horribly allergic to dogs and cats (laughs) or anything with fur. And I think that spurred the obsession, you know, what you want, what you can't have. (laughs) And so, yeah, growing up, I was incredibly obsessed with animals. I was constantly going to the library and checking out books on dogs and cats and learning everything that I possibly could because I couldn't be around them physically. And, and, you know, yeah, that really has manifested in, in everything that I've done from from that point forward and trying to just make this world a better place for animals and, and the people that are caring for them. How old were you when you got your first pet? And tell me a little bit about that story. Yeah. So I was 13 when I got my first dog and it was after years and years and years of begging my mom to let me adopt a dog. And the answer was always no, because I was allergic. And so finally she made a deal with me that if I did really well in school, I would get to go pick out a dog. So of course that year I crushed my grades, did amazing yeah, and held her to it. I said, you said we could go get a dog. So she gave me the go ahead. I went on pet finder and searched for the oldest and ugliest dog I could possibly find because I had been, you know, reading about homeless pets and pets dying in shelters. And I just really wanted to find the one that didn't have a chance without me. So I found this dog named Sandy. He was at a no kill shelter in Minnesota. Yeah. So I went to the shelter, met him and the, and I said, this is my dog. This is the guy that I'm going to bring home. And he was big, old, ugly. He was missing patches of fur randomly on his body. Uh, <laughs> he just did not look like you wanted to pet him. And and the woman running the shelter, she said, are you sure? Like, you know, I'm 13 years old at the time. She's like, are you sure you don't want to adopt one of these puppies that just came in? And, and I said, no, I really want to give this guy a chance. And so I ended up taking oh him God. home. I named him Rex for King because he was my King. Uh-huh. And And we had a beautiful two and a half years together. He was a fantastic dog. He was perfectly trained. He never, ever destroyed anything in the house. He was so incredibly behaved. And I think he was just grateful that somebody gave him a chance. Oh, my God. How old was he, would you think, when you adopted him? 
Oh, he had to have been, I don't know, maybe five or six. He ended up passing yeah. from uh, intestinal cancer. And so that was oh, really, sorry. really sad. But that passing of his is really the flame and that motivation for me now moving forward to work on saving more animals because I just said, I want everyone to have the opportunity to have their own Rex because he really, he changed my life. He was amazing. Oh boy. So you were still, what, like 16 years old when he passed? Yeah, I was 15. And and that was the, the big oh. tragedy for me at the time as well, was that I never had my driver's license while I had this dog. And so I never got to drive him to PetSmart or drive him to the dog oh. park and do all these fun things together. And it was one month after he passed, I got my driver's license. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that really, losing your soulmate in a way mm-hmm. at such a young age, that would that yeah. really is something that... Uh, has seemed to inform your whole life going yes. forward. Yes, he absolutely changed me. You know, I I don't have one of my parents, and and I really felt like this was my confidant for everything and that I could talk to him about anything. And, and, you know, it's truly like when you have an animal, you have a bad day, you come home and they just make everything better. And so, you know, in in middle school, high school, it's just a tough time for everyone. And so to have that dog with me through those really hard times of growing up, he really did mold me into wanting to just be a better person and, and have this mission instead of just, you know, going through life and doing the thing, having your nine to five and that's it. Right. No, that's, again, you're so lucky to have sort of found that, that calling, especially through Rex. So Mm -hmm. what happened after Rex passed? Yeah. So Rex passed away and and I thought to myself, man, I got to go back out there and help. And I got to find a way to make it so that more people have the opportunity to meet their Rex. And so that is really where I started to have that mission of, I'm going to do everything in my power to keep saving animals. So at that point, after I did get my license, um, I had ended up getting another dog. And that was a surprise because, of course, I was incredibly depressed after Rex had passed. So for my birthday, um, I ended up getting to adopt a puppy. Um, and he, his name was Teddy. He's actually still with me now 11 years later, which is wild. Um, but after that, I got my driver's license. And I said, I'm going to go to that shelter and help as much as possible because they blessed me with this dog. And I think I started volunteering there for the next two years and ended up co-owning it by my, my uh, senior year in high school. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it was called Adopt a Pet, and it was based in Buffalo, Minnesota. They're not around anymore. Yeah. And I would go out there every weekend and a couple times during the week, and I started managing the big dog program, um, foster program. I managed all the fundraising and marketing as well by the end wow. of, of volunteering there. And so I got very familiar with what it was like to run a shelter and all those processes. And and as I was leaving for college, um, you know, by the end of my, my senior year, the original founder of Adopt Pet said, you know, I can't do this without you because she was, she was, you know, a senior citizen at the time and, and couldn't manage the big dogs anymore and really couldn't do a lot of that heavy lifting and the laborious work of running a shelter. And so she said, you know, I think I'm going to shut it down when you leave for college. We have one pit bull left that needs to get adopted. And his name was Hooch. I said, I'm going to do everything in my marketing power to find this dog a home before the doors close. Well, nobody wanted to adopt this huge hundred pound pit bull that looked like he could eat you, even though he's a total sweetheart. (laughs) So I said, all right, we're closing our doors. I guess I'll take him home and foster him and see if I can find placement, you know, now that the shelter's closed. Well, he never left my house and I still have hooch now, eight years later. (laughs) 
Oh, I love it. So he's my little piece of, of adopt a pet because I do feel adopt a pet really gave me that foundation for getting to, to be hands on within the industry. And that's really where I started to learn about what problems the industry is facing and where a lot yeah. of my, my current companies have come from is, is learning uh, how to solve the problems I faced in the shelter environment. So what were some of the things that you saw or learned that you're now trying to address? Yeah. So at that shelter, we did everything on paper, which was wild yeah. because we were managing so many different animals in so many different locations and different health issues, different behavior issues, trying to track down, you know, who we adopted certain pets to. And then if they lost their medical records, we would have to go hunt down, you know, carbon copies of the paperwork or, or scanned files of it. And so it was just a mess in, in terms of the administrative side of things. And that would always take our attention away from the individualized care or treatment that some of the animals within the shelter needed. And so now with my current company, Politics, we're really looking at addressing some of those issues on the administrative side and, and really allowing people who are working with animals to not have to do such of the heavy lifting in terms of mundane administrative tasks that, you know, in 2020, software really can address and fix for us. Absolutely. And I worked for a shelter. Um, I mean, I've worked and volunteered mm-hmm. with shelters, but recently I worked with the shelter mm-hmm. and to see the amount of information mm-hmm. that is going into each animal and then all of the medical records when we would be processing an adoption, yeah. all of the paperwork, all mm-hmm. of these different things that were going, that we were printing out by hand, mm-hmm. it actually really slowed down the actual process of the adoptions right. and people would be waiting in line. And so I, I, I saw firsthand just the amount of information and it's all vital, yes. but it's yeah. if there's a way to make it more virtual and digital then you know, all the better. So tell me, kind of tell me how I, I know that you ran or founded a couple of other organizations mm-hmm. yeah. prior to politics. Yeah, yeah. It's been quite the, the journey. And everything for me, of course, has revolved around homeless pets and wanting to save them. So my my first company, you know, after moving away from Minnesota, coming down to Nebraska for college, I didn't have any shelter or rescues to work with because I'm, I'm not from this area, you know. And so right. I, and I didn't know any really students at the university. So I first started a student organization that I called the No-Kill Ad advocacy club. I had that student club partner with every animal welfare group in the state of Nebraska. And when I did that, I started to, you know, analyze the differences between these organizations, what niches or problems that they were solving for animal welfare within the state of Nebraska. And it was showing me where the gaps were in our life saving in the state. And really that came down to cats. And so I ended up at the same time as starting that student organization, starting my own animal rescue that I'd called Progressive Animal Welfare Rescue. Yeah. And we, we would focus on taking in cats and getting them spayed and neutered, doing a little bit of TNR, and of course, fostering. And so I came up with my next idea, which was called Family Pet Project. And that was a website for people to rehome their own pets safely without having to go through Craigslist, without having to leave them at a shelter where maybe they're not going to find the best placement, or without having to yeah. go to a rescue who, you know, frankly, doesn't know that animal as well as you do. Right. So we created this website for people to rehome pets safely themselves. And it worked. We did have people rehoming uh, all over the nation, but we started noticing that the numbers weren't going to keep up in the sense that the company was not going to sustain itself at the rate we were we were growing at. And so that's when I picked up the phone and I called about 400 shelters and rescues across the nation. Uh, and that was really an attempt to get them to use Family Pet Project and send the owner surrenders that way first. But what they had ended up telling me was, 
well, we don't want them to not come to the shelter because we really can help these people find placement for their pets. The problem is that we can't process these adoptions fast enough. And so we're backed up and that's why we're turning animals away. And so that was really where the concept of politics came from, of instead of helping the one-off owner surrenders, let's help the organizations that really could take them all on. Right. Who have the foundation and the, in the um, back office in a sense. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. What type of information does politics collect exactly? Yeah. So we can help them manage everything about their pets. So all the basic information, you know, breed, species, age, where they came from, where they're going, if they have left your organization, all of their medical records, all of their foster information, every location they've been within the shelter as well, um, as well as tracking all the information on people that you're interacting with, volunteers, donors, adopters, fosters, all of the above, um, as well as other people in your organization can have access to this. And so, you know, if you are a foster-based organization, you're all volunteers. There's not necessarily a time where you can just be passing off information between each other. It's a great centralized database to have all of this information so that you can cut down on the miscommunication as well. Oh, my God. Part of the thing that I love about your story is that at really such a young age, this animal inspired you and changed your life and, and has really inspired you for your whole career thus far. I think that's so beautiful. Yeah, he he really did change my entire life. And, and I always thought, you know, I've always loved animals even before I had Rex, but I thought that yeah. my path was going to be, oh, become a lawyer or a veterinarian, retire, and yeah. then open a shelter and hire a bunch of people to run it. But, yeah. but when Rex passed away, it really changed everything for me. And I just said, I need to do this now. These animals need me now. And that, that motivation of every day that we have not accomplished something in our business or every day that we haven't moved something forward, more animals are dying in shelters at no fault of yeah. their own. Right. No, absolutely. So right now you have Teddy and Hooch. Who else is in your pack? Yes. So it is quite a large pack. I have Teddy and Hooch. I also have a Turner. <laughs> yeah. And then I have a Scout. And uh, it's funny because they all have been adopted from different states. I love it. Well, my, I mean, pit bulls are my spirit animal. And, yes, uh, I love them. <laughs> they are so beautiful. And I know they get, they do get a bad rap. And mm -hmm. uh, again, so many of, so many dogs that have bad raps are just coming from bad situations. It is not their mm -hmm. fault. Oh gosh, no, yeah. And but these... when I see a pit bull on the street, I always have to stop the owner and ask the story and mm -hmm. just, yeah, I want to reinforce how beautiful their dog is so that they see it as well. And I'm sure they do, but I think it's so important to just keep reinforcing the beauty of the pit bull. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Hooch actually got to live uh, on campus with me at the university of Nebraska. And I think he was one of the first dogs that was not a service dog to live on campus. And wow. I would bring him to every event, every, you know, everything that I could go to. And I had international students coming up to pet him telling me this was the first dog they'd ever touched. And I was, wow. I was so proud to say he's a pit bull. He's so friendly. He's so well-trained and behave. And so Hooch, you know, got to be kind of a mini breed ambassador uh, on campus. <laughs> That's amazing. That's so important. Good for you. So I, I just love this whole story and the fact that your dogs have given you such a sense of purpose 
and identity. Mm-hmm. Now, tell me a little bit more about uh, politics. How can people help to contribute to your mission? Yeah, so at politics, you know, our mission is really to contribute to getting the U.S. to no kill by 2025. And so we're always looking to talk to organizations. You know, even if you have a process that works for you, we want to talk to as many organizations as possible so that we can really understand how to solve the problems that are that are being faced in the industry. And so please, if you are out there listening, do not hesitate to go to politics.com, which is P-A-W-L-Y-T-I-C-S, and learn about what we do and don't hesitate to reach out because we are building so many features over the next year that we want to make sure we incorporate the right ideas into our software so that we're building what you guys need, not just what we think you need. And then how about on other social media platforms? Yes. So we are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And our handles for all of those are just politics. All right. Beautiful. I hope everybody will reach out to you and yeah. check your, out your work. But really what you're doing is so exciting. And you you are the new, you're the face of the new generation of, of people that are going to be helping animals. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yes. That's all we want to do <laughs> is be here to save, save them all. Literally save every single one. It was interesting to hear about Liz's journey and her different endeavors and how her relationship with animals and dogs especially has inspired and motivated her so much to not just have a normal life, but to try to carve out her own path while giving back. It's really impressive what she's accomplished already. I also love that she has her own pack of dogs with her, including several pit bulls. It sounds like they keep her consistently inspired. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. This show is a production of As It Should Be, a content studio. It's made with the support of our producer and editor, Jack Summer. Special thanks to our composer and neighbor, Daniel Lampert, for creating the music for the show. You can subscribe to Dog Save the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please leave a review or rating. You can also follow us on social media. You can also check out the Tiny Tim Rescue Fund, my foundation, at johnbartlettny.com. Enjoy a walk with your dog and make it a great day for both of you.